All right, all right. Here we are yet again with another episode of English and Coffee. It's your wonderful host, Demian. Hope you can hear me over the idiots out there on the road. Now, I thought that was a motorcycle, but it's actually someone's car that sounds like a motorcycle. So I don't know why you would buy a car and then put modifiers on it to turn it into a motorcycle. But today's podcast is not about that. We're going to talk about the mental construct, the mental framework from which everything is okay. We're going to dig into that a little bit. Talk about what happened during the week, and um, probably keep it easy, keep it nice and sweet, give you a little something to ponder on, as I, to myself, am pondering. Uh, let's go ahead and take a sip. Today I'm sipping on a uh, McDonald's Basic Four Creams, Four Sugars, hot coffee. It's not quite 50 degrees, not even 60 degrees, probably a low to mid-70 temp we have going on. We're just going to enjoy this little bit of coffee, get a little chat in. And go from there. So, take your customary sip. And here we go. You know, what's interesting is I sit out here in the parking lot of McDonald's. Um, well, I'm one lane over from McDonald's because I didn't want to sit right on top of the people. Uh, they have kind of shortened this parking lot over here. Because they got all these little signs, you know, order one, order two, and order three, which is taking up a lot of the real estate people just used to use for regular parks. So now, in order to sit in front of a park that doesn't have this one, two, three, you know, so they can just run out and give you your meal from your mobile app, they've shortened the parking lot. So I'm actually across the little median, still in the area, in the vicinity. I could pick up a rock and hit the building. But I'm actually, uh, they got this little GTS lube which is in the same little square. Because as you know, McDonald's just goes around and buys real estate. That's how they make their money. The burgers is just a plus, but they're buying up real estate. So I'm actually on their property, and um, this GTS lube is probably renting their space that they have on there. Anywho, it's amazing with the amount of people that swing through that drive through just buying burgers and fries and garbage food that really doesn't amount to anything, but it's crazy. Same amount of money you'd go over there and pay for number three or number four. You could go right to the grocery store and cook like five hamburgers and buy a bag of fries with the buns for the same price. People don't, people don't think like that. I guess they just like uh, fast food. I come here for the coffee. Yeah, I could buy a whole thing of coffee for the price of this one cup. But for the sake of doing the podcast, I like to change the scenery. Now, the thing with the whole McDonald's thing, the way the people are in and out of this drive-thru, they're not here for the change of scenery. They're in here because it's part of their routine. You get in the car, you go by McDonald's. You get the fries, you get the shake, you get the get the Big Mac, you get the Quarter Pounder. I can see if the food was just like the best food in the world, but it's actually not the best food in the world. The fries are the best thing they have going. Big Mac, second best thing. Other than that, they really don't have a lot going on. And I know you'd probably say, well, the chicken tenders and the sauce and stuff. But if you've ever actually made your own chicken tenders, you probably wouldn't feel that way. But as I said, today's podcast is going to be about the mental construct, not McDonald's, not cars that sound like motorcycles. So what is the mental construct? What is the mental framework from which we live? Each one of us has our own narrative, our own story that we tell ourselves to make sense of this world, to deal with things that are stressful, to govern ourselves, to 
make things a little easier for us to do. But every now and then the kimono gets pulled back and you see the dirty old man doing his dirty little dance, you know, behind the kimono or behind the building or under the rock. And let's just say this last month here that I've been squeezing out as I'm edging ever closer to my desired uh, job type, my desired freedom, my desired construct that I'm striving for. This week here has been probably the worst week out of the entire seven and a half years that I've worked at my job. Why? Is it because you realize how non-supportive management is? Is it because you realize that you're chasing people, trying to help them get jobs when they don't even want to work in the first place? Is it sitting here having a conversation with someone who's on drugs that's never going to change, but you're trying to show them a new way, getting burnt out from that? No. Is it is it driving in the traffic day in, day out, taking people places they don't want to go for a job they don't want? No. Is it calling someone 15 times in one week? stopping by their house three times just to try to engage them in a service they signed up for. It's not really that. That's not what the stress is. That's not what's making this week challenging. Because those things were already happening and have been happening all the time for the past seven years. So what's changed? Well, in order to do what I was doing, perform at the level I was performing, I had to set up a construct, a mental framework from which everything makes sense, a rationale from which all logic was stored. Had my own logic for the situation. If I ever told anybody about my job, which I have sometimes, you know, leaving names out, but when I've discussed different aspects of my job with certain people, they would be like, how could you do that? How, how did you stick around? Like, I would have got up and left, or I would have did this. You sat there and listened to it? You, you put up with that? Like, no way I'd have this person in my car. No way I'd go over there. No way I'd do this. No way I'd do that. You have a lot of people that say things like that when they hear about the work that I actually do and some of the situations I find myself in, you know, trying to help people. Well, it didn't faze me because of the framework that I set up. So with this framework, which includes boundaries, personal boundaries, social boundaries, you know, therapeutic boundaries, um, compartmentalization, all these different things you do to deal with the work, get through the day, still laugh at the end of the day and not lose your sanity. That's the framework. But as I'm leaving this job, as I'm exiting this job, the framework is starting to dissipate. The walls are starting to thin because mentally I've already left the job. Physically, I'm still there. So there's that tussle between mind and body. Physically still there, mentally gone, already on the next page. But every day I go to work, I'm having to pull my mind out of that happy place, out of that free place, doing what it wants to do, and put it back in the body that's still physically located 
on the job. So I have to go through this little stuffing match every day before work. Literally stand at the door, the front door, close on, breathe a few times, pull it all in mentally before I even open the front door to go out to work. It's never been like that before. So I could only equate it to the fact that the context that I've been working from over these past seven and a half years has dissipated. So now it's just me out there, basically naked, not physically naked, but mentally naked because the construct is no longer there. So now you see every evil, every wrong, every negative there is to see. And you're trying to balance that with the positivity that you're bringing to the picture. Now, this isn't when you're dealing with the individuals, because that, anybody will tell you, is the easiest part of healthcare in general. Working with patients, working with clients. Yeah, they may do this, they may do that, but at the end of the day, they're clients. You're there to help them. So you're coming from the helping perspective. You know, you're there with knowledge they need. You're there with support they need. You're doing things that they, they can't do just yet. They don't have the skills for it. Whether it's a man, woman, young, old, middle-aged, doesn't matter. You're there instilling, modeling, giving. But the challenge is when you're dealing with the administrative aspect of things, the systemic issues that happen within any company out there that's got more than you and people that you like. Um, this is when you have micromanagers that have micromanagers. This is when you have people that sit around a desk, get paid, take acknowledgement for work you do when they take vacations every other week. But when you work from the construct, you don't concern yourself with these things. You go to work, you do your job, you leave. It is the way it is. You don't care. They want to take a thousand conversations or a thousand vacations. You don't care because you're going to go out there and you're going to do what you're going to do. Now, when you have the mindset that you're going to be there and it is what it is, then you can roll with the best of them. But once you shift over to the fact that you're leaving, right, and your mind is already left and the construct has fallen, then you have to sit there and experience the disappointment, experience the displeasure, experience the, oh man, this is, this company is not really taking care of its staff. Experience the, um, just that feeling of being alone. Now, you might say, oh, well, come on now. Well, look at it this way. That's me and my experience, what I'm currently going through. And I know in what, on the 30th, it'll all be over. Then I can rejoin my body with my mind and be perfectly freaking peachy with a new construct. But let me just put this, let me wrap this around your ears so you can relate to what I'm saying. Think of this. A man and a woman are married 15 years. And we'll just use a man. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, hating on the guys out there listening, but just putting it in this context so everybody can can appreciate it. Or you can change the shoes and say the woman's doing all these things that I'm getting ready to say. But look at it like this. 
So let's say a couple's together for 15 years, right? Now, seven years into the marriage, the man starts tipping out on the woman. You know, he's got his little mistress here, friend there. Business dinners are turning into week trips, week-long trips, weekend trips. He's coming home, he's tired, he's exhausted, he just wants to take a shower and go to bed. He doesn't have no time for kissing, no time for hugging, no time for loving. Maybe talk to the kids, walk the dog, but he's got no time for you, right? Or the woman, you know, she's out there. Eric is her business partner. They're going to New York, and it's a weekend. Now it's every weekend. Now it's every other week. Her and Eric are out there, but you got a young kid at home. So for the sake of your kid, for the sake of keeping the happy home, you set up a narrative, a construct that you follow and you work within. Oh, he's working late again. She's working late again. She's tired. I'm tired. The kid needs both parents. You tell yourself this story, this construct, and everything's okay. So when the person comes in at three o'clock in the morning, you raise no steam. They're going to come in. They're tired because they've been working all day. When deep down, you know what they've been doing, but you've set up this story because you've got to be there for the kid. You don't want to break up the home for the kid. You just stick it in there for the kid. And that's the story that you tell yourself. And that's the conditions you deal with. Now, whether you're there one year, two year, five year, 15 years, this is where this is where it all makes sense. He could literally be in the parking lot with his mistress or she could literally be in Starbucks with her her little friend. You walk in there. And you see her with a friend. You say, oh, hey, honey, how's it going? You enjoying your coffee? She says, yes. Oh, this is Eric. Oh, hi, Eric. You might even shake his hand, right? Because that's the story you tell yourself so you don't freaking lose your stuff, you know, mentally. Snap on somebody. Now, this is good, like I said, in a work situation where you have to earn your money. You got to do what you got to do. Deal with a difficult situation. It's a little more challenging in a personal relationship or maybe even in prison. There's no way anybody goes into prison like they are on the outside. Mentally, you can't handle it. The conditions are too grim. So for me, with the work environment I was in, I've seen several people leave. I've seen several people get burned out. I've been burned out, relit and burned out again. But not everybody can make it. That's just like you might see somebody who went to nursing school, becomes a nurse, and only works one month. Why? Because they couldn't handle all the death. They couldn't handle all the sickness, people coughing, people dying. You just met the lady yesterday and, and now she's dead. And you got people dying on you every week, 14, 15 people a week dying if you're working in hospice. Some people can't handle that. But there are those that are there 15 years. And you say, well, how are they able to work 15 years in this place where everybody's dying? How are they able to stay in there that long? They're older. Yeah. Well, maybe they're just a cold person, or maybe not. Maybe they have a different construct. Maybe they've set it up in a way so their emotional self isn't at work experiencing those things. Their emotional self isn't at work experiencing all the death, experiencing all the sadness, experiencing all the disappointment, all the letdowns from management because you know the people need care. Maybe they've just come to grips with it, like a police officer. Think about it. A police officer, what's their job? To protect and serve, right? They got to go out there. 
The only time anybody calls the police is when they're in a situation they can't handle. And most of the time when it's in a situation people can't handle, it's it's going to violence. Or it's going to some argument. It, it's, it's just on the next level. Stuff people try to avoid. Stuff people try not to deal with. So, as a cop, you go in, right? You show up. You got a freaking bank robber, you know, shooting it out with the security guard. And you're supposed to come in there. Now you work. They called you to go in there and fix the situation. So now you're in there. You got to identify who's the robber and who's the security guard. And then you got to shoot the bad guy or try to take him in even worse. Take in the guy with the gun. Right. So you have a gun. He's got a gun. He's actually shooting from his gun. But you got to take him in. You got to put handcuffs on the guy with the gun. So they got to shoot him or stop him from trying to hurt these other people. Now, after a day like that, how do you think you're going to feel mentally? You'll probably be pretty frazzled, probably be pretty drained, probably be through with it all. But you got to go to you got to go to the next call. And now you got to pull some kid out of a car. that looks like he's been sitting in a freaking can of tuna that was rolled over by a semi. Right. You got to pull him out of the car. Right. And then you got to take that bank robbery shooting out. And that kid you pull out of the car and go home and sit down and listen to your wife tell you what little Junior did in preschool. Right? With a smile on your face. And laugh when she tells you that Jan came over, right? Because Sarah had an argument. Something you really don't care to hear about. But you've got to sit there and have a pleasant conversation and smile and be pleasant. Now, there's no way you could do that unless... You had a framework to where you would separate, compartmentalize your work self from your personal self. Now, in psychology, this is a negative coping skills. They say, yeah, you don't want to compartmentalize things and blah, blah. Hmm. Listen, a lot of you out there probably utilize this and don't even know you're doing it to where you can be in two different environments, two completely different worlds with two completely different behaviors and they never meet in the middle. But if there's a kink in the chain and your personal starts to bleed over into the other one, that's when you are compromised. That's when it becomes difficult to deal with and you end up with one of the longest weeks ever, one of the longest longest marriages ever, one of the most difficult situations ever is when your framework from which you are safe, protecting yourself, is shattered. That's when it just becomes unbearable. So I'm not going to say mine's completely shattered because I do have a renewal rate. You know, I do have a refresh rate, meaning each day it gets knocked down, I build it back up. But the thing is, I never had to do it like this, like physically do it, mentally do it before I leave the house framework. I was talking to my mom about this whole mental framework, this construct, and how we go from construct to construct. Because in another month or so, after all this is behind me, I'll be in a whole new construct. I'll have a whole new pattern of behaviors. You know, I'll be doing this instead of doing this, which I've been doing for the past seven, I'll be doing this. Instead of talking to mom at this time, I'll be talking to her at this time. Instead of going home for lunch and doing this, I'll be going out and doing this. 
instead of recording podcasts at this time, I'll be recording it this time. So we're talking about a major shift. Now, what happens in this shift? It's not just things moving around. As your freedom increases, your time increases, your mind moves, your mind changes, things shift. They have to. You can't expect to stay the same. There's no way. If you're going to be successful, you're going to have to grow. So change is always difficult, but there is no change without growing pains. I don't think I've ever seen a woman produce a child without going through some type of pain. I don't think I've ever seen a man raise a son without going through some type of pain. I don't think a soldier goes to war without going through some type of pain. Right? Let that soak in. No soldier goes to war without going through some type of pain. Before he's even left the country, the city, the town, he's leaving his family. He's leaving his wife. He's leaving his girlfriend. He's leaving his dreams of playing football. He's leaving his sick mom. He's leaving his dad. He's leaving the farm. He's leaving the world that he knew. By the time he gets to war, he's not the same person. There's no way he's the same person. The person going to war isn't looking forward to watching Family Feud at 7 o'clock. There is no way that person is going to war. That person will be eaten alive. But you hear about those guys that lose their mind on the ride over there. Or they get shell-shocked. They, their buddies get blown up right next to them and they can't deal with it. That's because they didn't have the framework. They didn't have the framework, the proper framework in place. So you got to look at it. A hundred soldiers on the line. A hundred soldiers on the line. Bombs going off. This is detrimental to anybody's psyche. Detrimental to anybody's psyche. Bombs going off. Bullets flying overhead. People running. People screaming. Blood flying. Bodies burning. Right? But these other guys are sitting there with the freaking scope on, night vision goggles, and they are ready for some freaking combat. They've already taken out 30 people and they're going for 30 more. You got the other guy over there jumping and prancing because his body count's so high. He's, he's like, oh, did you see the way the bullet ricocheted off the brick and hit the guy? He's, he's having a blast. Now, how is this guy having a blast? How is this guy sitting here like freaking a stone soldier? And this other guy over here losing his freaking mind. It's because they're working from different constructs, different mental framework. Right? Any one of those guys could become the other guy, provided their framework changes. The guy who's so amused by the bullets bouncing off of everybody could end up being the guy that's shell-shocked if his framework is shaken. The guy that's just a freaking robot, freaking cyborg, picking them off, ping, 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 ping. His whole thing could be changed if he's shaking. Maybe he needs a physical hit, get shot in the leg, change his whole game, get shot in the hand. If I've been op operating like a cyborg the whole time, doing the same shot, you know, thousands of times, now I can't use my hand. Oh, shoot, what do I do? I've been so used to using my hand to pull the trigger, now my trigger finger's gone. What am I going to do? Now, he may lose his stuff because he was working from a framework, which included having full use of his hands, full use of his trigger finger, always having the magazine ready, always having the full clip. 
Even think about it. I mean, even on a lower level, look at teachers. There's some bad kids in school today. You've been in school. You know there's those kids in there that would just get on anybody's nerve, and if you had to be the teacher in there trying to instruct that kid, it would be a challenge. Some teachers, they can handle it. They speak to the kid. They don't yell at the kid. They don't scream and shout at the kid. But they reach the kid, right? Other teachers, they scream and shout. Still don't reach the kid. Some teachers say, I'm not dealing with this kid, and they send him to another class. They send him to detention because they don't want to deal with him. Different frameworks. Different frameworks. The kids are also having different constructs that they work from, that their world exists from. So why did I go in-depth on that? Well, like I said, it's just because, uh, yeah, I've been looking at my construct, my framework, and is it shifting? Yeah, I experienced a little bit of the stuff that I kind of numbed over the seven years. It's like opening a wound every day this past month as I go into work. Dealing with the situations. Before, didn't care, couldn't care less. But now that I've already mentally separated from work, when I have to put my mind back into the body and go in there, put on the smile, put on the persona, do all what I, all the magic I was doing before, it takes a little more effort. Then when you have to go home and write about it, you got to relive it, which just kind of puts you in this space. But I've only got a few more days of it, and then we'll be on to the next page. But I would say if you're out there, right, in a situation, and you're aware of the construct that you're working from, maybe you're telling yourself a lie, maybe you're working from some mistruths, maybe you're working from a great expectation that everything will be okay, maybe you're the most optimistic person that has ever walked the earth. But just look at it and see what is your mental framework? What are your truths that you tell yourself, whether they are real or not? What are you telling yourself? Maybe with your English. I can't learn English. What story are you telling yourself on a daily basis? Because that's where everything else follows. If you're telling yourself you can't do it, guess what? You can't do it. But if you are working from a construct of, I can do it, I will do it, everybody around me's done it, there's no reason I can't do it. It's a whole different energy. It's a whole different energy. But there's a reason that maybe you, you know somebody who started practicing English the same time you did. Maybe two, three, four, five, six people started speaking English the same time you did, and they're up there freaking Da, 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 da. And you're over here like, uh, my name is Charles. There's a reason for that. Has nothing to do with the level of effort that you're putting into studying English. You could probably write a freaking book on English. But the mental framework. See, nobody thinks about the mental game. But that's where it all happens. When people play chess, before the first piece is even moved, it's already played upstairs. It's a delayed reaction when you see them moving the pieces. The game's already been played. So think about that. The mental framework, mental construct, 
Take a look in the mirror. See the narrative you're telling yourself. See if it makes sense. And if you don't like what you see, see if you can change it. And on that one, I'm going to take a sip. And I will see you in the next one.